Okay. Um, it's good to be with you tonight, Mike. I, uh, I, I, pre- I appreciate the privilege of being on with you this evening. And I need to state as we begin, uh, the facts and conclusions of what we're going to discuss this evening are my own. Uh, they are ar- derived from my educational, professional, personal experience with military aviation, with general aviation, training and operations. Um, I am no way representing the FAA, DOT, or any other governmental agency in what I'm speaking this evening, and have followed the proper whistleblower requirements, as is clearly spelled out in my original filing, which can be found under DOT, DOT case number MA Mike Alpha 220823 06 SARS 2, SARS 2 slant COVID-19. I'd like to especially thank my legal team under Todd Callender at Disabled Rights Advocates and the excellent team working for Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, who is also uh, providing covering for me as a whistleblower. You know, Ron Johnson, I have to say, in an, in an era where um, our elected officials keep finding new ways to let us down, Ron Johnson seems to be a person whose name continues to pop up in this um, yeah. in this fight that we're uh, that we're currently engaged in. So I guess I guess kudos to him. Um, uh, I'm thinking that you find both him and his office um, encouraging and in in wanting to hear real <laughs> stories from real Americans. <laughs> that is very much the case, and. Um... If I get through the right link, I hear from him within a few minutes normally, directly from him. And he shared here after the election in November with Vince Colonese on a local uh, conservative program we have here at WMAL Mm. that he knows the reason he got reelected was because every single injured person in Wisconsin voted for him. And he was outspent over $150 million by the opposition. So if they're spending $150 million against you, they really don't want you to win, do they? That sort of is the way it looks. <laughs> so um, so now that we have people's attention, Bruce, I'd like you to kind of um, take a couple of minutes here and just give us your your background, because, um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people and I see a lot of quote unquote resumes. Your resume is quite impressive. So I want you to share it, um, as best you can. We can probably fill up a couple of episodes with your, uh, with your career, um, achievements, but, um, as best you can just kind of give us an overview. Well, background wise, I'm, uh, the child of a family with world war II veteran who served in China. Uh, my wife's family have members who served in the Pacific and at Normandy. In fact, uh, at Normandy, uh, her relative was shot up and carried that medal the rest of his life. We, we love this country. We were taught to love this country. We're taught to obey our parents, to, you know, to obey, obey our teachers. And that's a little bit of my background. Um, lost both my father and my little sister by age of 11. And it started me questioning a lot about life. And I knew, um, I, and I knew this from teachers in public school where I grew up here just outside of, uh, Washington, D.C. in Montgomery County. Our teachers taught us we had a purpose in this life. And so I was very conscious of that. And I ended up as a result of falling in love with military aircraft, going to the Air Force Academy. Uh, out there, I came to a point of real faith on the truth of the Bible, on the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's affected everything in the rest of my life. Went to pilot training in 1968 down in Del Rio, Texas. Went to Vietnam, served there in AC-119 gunships back in 70-71. Came back to the States, went to KC-135s at Barksdale, was redeployed to Southeast Asia. Uh, for another six months in, let's see, 72. And then I got out in 73. I went back and I was part of a lay ministry group uh, 
counseling and helping cadets at the Air Force Academy for a couple of years and had fallen in love at this point, got married, moved up to Alaska where my wife's family was stationed. And then we lived in Alaska for 12 years. Hmm. And I ended up flying over light, over 40 light airplanes in Alaska. Um, and one of the things I tell people, because a lot of people don't understand this, and, and this is my conviction about it. I learned to fly three times. First in the Air Force with semesters of applied aerodynamics, flying two airplanes all the way to the edges of the limits. The most incredible teaching on weather, weather patterns. Uh, we talked with forecasters all the time. Hmm. And that was really key in, in helping me when, when I ended up in Alaska flying up there. Right. In Alaska, I started all over again getting a certified flight instructor rating in the right seat of a Cessna 150. And I, I love to tell people I, uh, I have a thousand hours of, uh, right seat time in the Cessna 150, most of it in long underwear. <laughs> I'm sure and, it gets, and, I'm sure it gets pretty cold up there. In, in the process, I uh, got qualified as a multi-engine instructor. I got my airline transport pilot certificate. And then, uh, with my veterans benefit, I was able to go down to United Airlines and get a flight engineer rating. Um, and in the process of all of that, I finally, um, was asked to join the Alaska Air Guard in 1979. So I came down to Little Rock during the um, the uh, final hockey week of the U.S. Olympics. Do you believe in miracles? Wow. We very proudly have about a five-point lower than normal, normal average testing score for that week. <laughs> uh, it was an amazing time. And then I flew C-130s for seven years for the Alaska Air Guard. Um, and I ended up flying three years with Wiener Alaska. Their last three years that they were operating, I started out as an engineer on the 727, uh, became a first officer on the 737, typed on it, and then uh, typed on the 72 as a first officer. And Wiener went out of business in November of 1984. Uh, I very quickly was given a connection down with the D.C. Air National Guard, and I came down as an acquisition representative on the 727, uh, I helped uh, take four aircraft. I was the flight operations perspective for a lot of it through rebuild out at uh, the Boeing Military Aircraft Factory in Wichita. Got a lot of really good experience out there working with the Boeing flight test people. Um, and then um, flew for another 12 years for the uh, Air National Guard in support of headquarters here, both in Sabre Liners, Lear 35s, and the uh, 727. Mm -hmm. um, my other air carrier experience is with Supplemental Air Freight, also worldwide flag carrier, uh, with a joint venture that was operating out of the Emirates for a year in support of Lufthansa, uh, all over Asia, and then for five more years with uh, Amerijet here in Florida, to the islands and to the uh, northern tier of uh, South America and Central America. Uh, during my career, and I do have over 31 years of formal education, I've completed postgraduate work uh, at George Washington in um, uh, Master's in Public Administration with uh, people that were also working in the federal government real time. And so we were getting the best possible perspective on operating and working within the federal government. I also have um, the equivalent of a master's in national strategic resource management from the Industrial College of the Armed Forces at Fort McNair down here in Southern Washington. And then um, I got furloughed uh, due to a loss of a major contract with Amerijet and began looking for work up here. And about six months down the road, I went to work for the FAA. So I've been fully trained as both an aircraft accident investigator, incident investigator, and as a safety inspector with the Federal Aviation Administration. And I'm in my 22nd year now of doing that. And I'm living proof, proof Mike, that God has a sense of humor because for 35 years, I swore I would never go to work for the FAA. <laughs> Well, I, I think there you are. <laughs> I think we mentioned in one of our conversations, right? That old expression, if you want to make God laugh, make plans. 
Yes. Well, yes. You he know, laughs a lot at me, Mike. <laughs> I'm sure he's laughing with you. <laughs> you know, I um, I find that people in the aviation industry are some of the most honest, hardworking, conscientious people around. Yes. I remember I was watching a um, yep. an interview with a mechanic one. This is years ago. And he said something that really kind of stuck with me. He said, we service and we maintain and we repair these aircraft as though our friends and family were flying on them because they are. Yes. And that kind of stuck with yeah. me. Um, tell us a little bit about the people that you've met over your career. Well, it's interesting. I um, On the night that I got hired, mm. and I really was not totally happy about starting to work for the FAA <laughs> And I was picking my son up at wrestling down at his high school, and I was listening to a public servant in one of the federal agencies, and it might have been on public radio. I think it might have been on NPRM, uh, or I'm getting my stuff mixed up, uh, NPR. Um, And that person was saying, if you want to get rich, the federal government is not the place to be. But if you want to dedicate yourself to serving the nation and serving the public in the realm in which you are hired, you can have a very rewarding career. Mm. And that's kind of the way my whole life has been, you know, thanks to the wonderful people that raised me and the great people I've been able to be around. Um, Some of the folks I've known, my first and probably the best Best man I ever worked for, Kobe Johnson. Kobe uh, was described by many as maybe the most visionary man we've ever had in flight standards. And flight standards is kind of concentrated, supposed to be concentrated on the flight operations, the airworthiness, those parts of, of, of all of aviation, not air traffic, not the medical, not other related, you know, supporting areas. And, Kobe had 150% trust in us Mm. and gave me a couple of very, very hard assignments. And once he gave me the assignments, and one of them he apologized to me before before asking me to do it. Mm. And um, But then it was just, what do you need? How much do you need? Do you need contract support? We'll get you contract support. We'll provide whatever it is that you need. And I've gone through a rough change in the last uh, number of years from a very different mentality of how the division I'm in is now run. And that's really not for public comment right now. But I've worked with, oh, I've worked with some of the best human factors research people in the Mm. world today. Mm. I was part of a joint project. FedEx was involved. And we have one of the top 737 simulators in the world. There are actually two simulators, or at the time that I was doing this, which is now, wow, it's over six years ago. But there were two simulators that could give you really accurate presentations of the current electronic flight vision systems. I'm sorry, enhanced flight vision systems. Very sophisticated. And each one of them for each airport had to be individually modified software-wise so that you got the accurate light representation and, and, and everything else. Um, I, I cannot say enough good about the human factors, scientific community that we have. Uh, some of the minor folks, I would love to name a few that are some of the most superb, dedicated people that we're working with today. And, and that is, I think, for a large, large part, the quality of um, the folks that I've been able to work with. Tell us a little bit about um, health standards for pilots, the precautions that the FAA takes in terms of pilots' health, because I assume, at least up until recently, those standards were quite high. Uh, Yes, and I I think I can give you a pretty good typical example. Speaking about new medications, Mm. um, a medication has to be fully FDA-approved and on the market for a year under FAA policies answering to 49 USC 44701, which is what commissions the FAA under DOT with protecting 
public safety. And the chief, uh, the federal flight surgeon is charged with setting the medical standards, overseeing everything to do with anything medically in terms of medications, in terms of physicals, in terms of treatments, in terms of, terms of anything else related to aviation specifically. Um, and I'm going to digress here for just a minute. One of the things that has to occur with any medication is it must be tested at altitude with voluntary crew uh, going under the testing. It has to be tested under high G loading. One of the reasons these things have to be out for a year, pilots are 60% more prone to blood clots than the remainder of the public. It's a unique situation with our operating at high altitude sitting for long hours, and things associated with all of that. So uh, in the case of a diet um, pill, over-the-counter diet pill, I can't give you all the details of it, but it boils down to kind of this. They did laboratory testing to determine what is five times the half-life of the diet pill and then they add on a proper percentage of time or however it is they determine how many hours it has to be after the last diet pill before you walk on an airplane and act as a pilot. Now, in the case of these shots, one day after they were mandated, the FAA announced, we have determined that these are good to take. Yeah. And to date, no data, no studies, no supporting analysis of any kind under FAA, you know, medical oversight have been produced for anybody that's been asking, how did you determine this? I think that's that's pretty telling in and of itself. Um, it is. So you just alluded to uh, why you decided to do what you did. Tell us about your whistleblower report, why you decided to, to file it and the information um, therein, just at a, a at a very high level. Um, I, I would be glad to, Mike. And also, when we get done, I, I have some more notes to deliver for you for your reference on this. So, you got to understand, I came at this with 32 years of military grounding. Also, my father paced the halls and the floor. And this is long before I was born, but my mother used to talk about it a lot. In the 1930s, he had read Mein Kampf, and he was screaming about what was going to be done to the Jewish people in Europe. Mm -hmm. So that's the type of background that, that, that kind of contributed to the way that I look at things. So in January, by January of 2020, I knew... Wuhan was completely locked down from any people coming in or out in China. No domestic flights. All domestic flights out of Wuhan had been canceled. And all the international flights out of Wuhan were kept going. And just for an economic perspective on this, and a lot of people do not understand what kind of economic deep, deep uh, trouble China's been in for a number of years now. But the the 10 largest damaged countries from the COVID shots were the 10 biggest competitors with China economically. I'm sure there's no correlation there. Right. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's purely a coincidence. So when this happened in January, uh, I immediately, I thought, oh, the FAA is going to put out a major alarm. They're going to contact the White House. They're going to let people know we've got to do something. Crickets. Hmm. One of the things I learned uh, soon after that is Mongolia figured out what was going on and completely closed the country. The unfortunate thing is in February 21, uh, and it was a U.S. delegation that was let in and talked them into taking the shots. By June, there report, were reports of over a million dead Mongols. Nobody in the country died from COVID while they had their borders locked. What else do you need to understand we're in big trouble here? 
you know, I want I want people to understand because the word whistleblower is kind of used colloquially these days. Um, anybody yeah. that has something that's to to say or something to talk about is often labeled as a whistleblower. But there there are legal that's a legal term. Yes, it and is. and your filing yes. has fulfilled those legal requirements, hasn't it? That that is correct, and that's why I mentioned the DOT case file number, which you have. It's on the addendum. Um, the original sworn declaration doesn't have it because that didn't get logged in on it for quite a while after it was received. So, yes, that is absolutely correct. Tell us a little bit about the reaction of pilots to the mandate for the COVID-19 vaccines. Um, we've seen lots of news stories about mass cancellations at airports, which they ascribe to the weather and things yes. like that. Yeah. Um, and the truth is far from from that. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, a number of items, items of evidence that come together on this. And uh, a few of these include the fact that so 2020, we have COVID, but the shots really don't get underway till about January 21. Right. So there's a there's a big demarcation there. Right. And of course, in 2020, what do you know? There was no flu in America. Right. So by the end of 2021, by the end of 2020, we see the manipulation of medical statistics Mm. to try to support a narrative that's going on here. Mm. Uh, And there's all these little clues constantly coming out. But unfortunately, and, and I'll tell you, this is a lesson I got from Vietnam and from top secret briefings from 1964 pretty much all the way up till 1973. The way they lied to us about everything going on in Southeast Asia and everything going on in the world at that time was by what they did not cover. Yes. They tried to be accurate and truthful about what they were covering, but the manipulation. So we had the KIA every day in Vietnam, KIA every day in Vietnam. Then we should have had, the total number of Vietnamese assassinated by the Viet Cong in the North Vietnamese every day. Mm. This is a game politically in manipulating statistics. And so I had a lot of that background leading up to what we started to see happening in 2020. Mm. So now we come to 2021. Southwest Airlines, which up until 21 has averaged about 160, 170 sick pilots per month, rockets up to 480 per month, and it's been at 480 since. Hmm, have we had some problems with cancellation of flights at Southwest Airlines? Besides the problem with their, um, what, what is their ticketing system or what, whatever it is, um, which was the fault of losing their flight operations perspective a number of years ago and Mm. and going under a bean counter who didn't update anything for years. Mm. Um, So Southwest goes up to 480 a month. The union at American Airlines in 2021 and 2022 reports their disability filings have gone up 300%. Delta, who for their entire history with a voluntary um, um, disability fund, funded by the pilots, is in deficit now, this last year. Now, coincidental with that is Surgeon General Latipo Latipo. from Florida. In his initial warning, this cannot be given to 19-year-old to 44-year-olds. Well, at least the right seat of the airplane has a lot of people in those age groups. Mm. And... um, We've had major medical incidents with pilots in the right seat. Um, and if the FAA, if the NTSB are doing the right thing, you're familiar with the fatal uh, heart attack on en- Envoy 3556 on November 19 coming out. It's coming out of O'Hara to Columbus, Ohio. Tell us about that because I was going to ask you about that. <clears throat> So now you look at these statistics in the other airlines, and and we're having a crisis in qualified pilots. Besides the fact that people are having to retire and leave medically, 
we're having trouble keeping people off the sick list. Mm. So now Envoy, and this is the first I knew of this. Mm. The situation has gotten so critical that Envoy is hiring directly to the left seat. And it is the first time in scheduled 121 passenger flying that I know of this happening. Uh, other than maybe a fringe 121 operation that, that's not a serious supporter. And Envoy is a huge supporter of American Airlines. Mm. So here is a brand new ca- captain, brand new to the procedures, brand new to the company. He's with a high time, highly experienced Czech airman. This is the only reason, in my opinion, we did not lose that crew in that airplane that day because he died during takeoff. And I've listened to the tower and approach control to cockpit voice tapes. And that check airman had his hands full. Did a superb job getting it on the ground where, well, apparently a couple of doctors are trying to get the captain out of the seat. They're trying to deal with the situation. So just from that standpoint alone, in a not very big cockpit, you got a mess on your hands to yeah. start with. And um, he successfully got it back, and the vice president of Envoy uh, sent out an immediate message on the superb job that he had done uh, recovering that airplane. Well, I, it, uh, you know, we don't want to sound alarmist. But in your no. estimation, Bruce, is is the American um, flying public, are they in danger? I, I would have to say at this point, yes. Now, let me put some caveats on that. Please. Pilots are generally not dumb. And they're highly qualified at what they're doing. And they know we're in a very bad situation right now. Um, I have a friend who works in uh, air carrier training, um, and I have to keep this generic, but uh, he has a long-time career, one of the best people I've ever worked with. And he told me, he said, Bruce, I can tell which pilots have taken the shot. When they walk in the front of the training building, you can see the fear in their faces. Yeah. And you can see the relief on other pilots' faces. Mm-hmm. So the, the pilot community has been waking up to what's happening here. And therefore, they don't want to fail accident any more than anybody else. And I'm sure that's been affecting how crews are operating together to some degree. If they can get honest with each other about this. And I would make a public cry out to all commercial pilots in 121 operations. Tell your crew your status. Mm. Talk about it. Don't keep this under wraps. Get the word out. Figure out how you're going to work. You pilots at your different bases can get together informally and go, look, guys, we got injured among us. Let's figure out how we're going to manage this. That's a terrific, um, a terrific recommendation. And indeed, we're starting to see not just pilots, but we're starting to see all kinds of personnel um begin to resist these mandates uh we're seeing mass walkouts there's an episode that you talk about that happened in 2021 yes in jacksonville Uh, yeah october 3rd almost the entire center walked out and and god bless them this is part of the reason why you know we're in so much trouble the faa immediately lied about it said no problems it's weather just just weather system stuff down in Florida today. And they're so ignorant, they don't realize all you got to do is go to the local Jacksonville News online and you will see the accurate reporting that all but a handful of controllers walked out in protest, protesting against these shots. Hmm. And they think the rest of the country is not going to figure this out. It, it's a really remarkable disconnect right now. It, it it really really is. Um, uh, so speaking of disconnects, Senator Johnson, the aforementioned, 
writes a letter to acting FAA Administrator Billy Nolan and Susan Northrup, who, as you mentioned, is the federal yep. air surgeon at the Office of Aerospace Medicine. Yep. And he asks, this This kind of blew my mind, he asks about the why the standards for the PR interval for pilots has changed. Tell us a little bit about that. I know PR intervals and medical terms are, you know, kind of not your um, area of expertise. No, no, it's not. But basically, it is uh, loosening the standards by one third on PR interval on the heart. And the difficulty with subclinical myocarditis is it very often does not present mm. other than maybe a minor disruption in the PR interval. Mm. And if, is the case with Captain Ford on Envoy 3556, and I can mention that name because it's in the public domain. Mm. He was in a perfect situation with the the largest amount of pressure, other than they were at that very small Chicago O'Hara Airport. Oh, okay, so that adds to the whole problem. Right. And he's under the pressure of his second flight and 50 hours of line orientation required for any time you switch seats or you go to a new position. And that's when subclinical myocarditis myocarditis rears its head. That's why we're seeing athletes collapse and die on the field. One of the stats in my addendum, which I, I named in the original filing, hundreds of athletes have died. Well, now from 2021 till now, 1,198 world-class athletes have had cardiac arrest, and that means 872 of them died. Mm. Whereas in the years, all the years going back, we've only ever had, I think, five, maybe five to nine. I'm not quite sure on that number right now. I don't have that stat right in front of me. Mm. But the point being is among the, the, the injected athletes, they know how much trouble they're in now. And so you look at the whole situation to, with the DeMar Hamlin on that night with right. Buffalo. And you can see the NFL doing everything to cover up what happened. That's, exa- that's exactly right. And there's a lot of questions about whether or not um, that was actually that young man who attended that game in the following, in the following weeks. Um, in that same letter, Johnson asks about five specific pilots. And yes. Nor- Northrop responds with a, a response that I find kind of stunning. She completely shirks her responsibility in um, in getting to the bottom of those, those pilots' cases. It's criminal, Mike. That's the unfortunate thing. We're at the point of federal official sh- officials, whether they know it or not, witting or unwittingly, have committed criminal negligent homicide. Mm. And Northrop's completely irrational response that a number of these didn't follow process. All right? Process is what we do in a normal day. When we have an airworthiness emergency, which we had some years ago with the 737 rudder doing hardovers, losing an airplane at Pittsburgh. Mm. And actually the guy I worked for that I think thought so highly of, he was on that safety team, completely Mm. changed his perspective. We lost one at Colorado Springs. And the result of that was the entire 737 fleet in the world must now be immediately checked. We don't ground the whole thing. You take it a number of aircraft at a time. If you can, if you can't, you do ground the whole fleet immediately. Mm. Susan Northrup was given hard evidence, Oh, but it was only from a U.S. senator. That might be the problem. It was only a U.S. senator that we have a medical emergency, and she rationalizes the way by saying, oh, uh, not proper process here. I, I think I think it is nothing short of criminal, um, and it's 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 just it's stunning. It's stunning that it, people. It, it's do. very sad. Yeah. So people watching might be asking themselves, "Well, what exactly is 
the ask, what should we demand from um, our FAA in terms of, of guidelines? You lay this out in your filing, and I think that they are very, very reasonable and um, would be fairly easy to implement. But again, you know, I don't, I'll, I'll defer to you on that because I'm not exactly an expert, but I think that they are something that um, we should all push for. Tell us a little bit about those. Um, so the long and the short is every single injected individual has got to go through proper testing to determine the status of the damages of the shots. And part of the problem here is the poisons vary widely by lot number. There's no consistency in what's in any of the shots from any of the companies from one end to the other. And it looks like in the initial phases, about 60% of what was being given were placebos. Right. Which caused a very confusing landscape. Right. So now you have great variations in reactions among those who have received shots. And so a very practical recommendation. Where possible, you always have one pilot who is uninjected on the airplane. Or you have a pilot deadheading on the airplane if both seats are injected. You have a backup way of covering while you begin to deal with the emergency. Unfortunately, the FAA has officially announced that all the shots are good, all the boosters are good. Just wait 48 hours. And here is the criminal element in how they handled that and what they put after that statement on their public medical website, on the FAA public medical website. They put on there, by the way, should any individual certified controller or pilot, and I'm paraphrasing right now, mm. have an adverse event, you must you must self-eliminate from duty. Now, the the telling thing about this is up until that announcement, as far as anybody I know can determine, medical examiners or otherwise, that's the first time FAA has ever used the term adverse event. Mm. In the 2022 medical guide, in the 2021 medical guide, and as far back as I know of, they've only called it adverse effects of treatment. Mm. So on the one hand, they say the shots are all good to go, have a good life, wait 48 hours. On the other hand, they go, if you have an adverse event, i.e., we know how dangerous these shots are. That's really the way it was presented, the only logical conclusion you can make about the matter. So the FAA knows. There's and surprise, the they're not telling the truth. They seem to be speaking out of both sides of their mouths on that. And by the way, yeah. so, so these... These recommendations, they apply to pilots, but they also apply to air traffic controllers, people on the ground as well. That is correct. FAA controllers all have medicals, and there are controllers collapsing at work. I know of one situation where on the floor with about probably about 100 other controllers, they had to paddle them several times. Mm. Massive heart attack. Mm. Oh, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. You know, um, I'm I'm super glad that I, that I have you on today because mm-hmm. I I wanted to ask you about this push in recent weeks to only have one pilot in an in an airplane during a flight. That seems to me even even if you take COVID completely out of the picture, that seems <laughs> to be to me to be incredibly risky. I'm wondering about what your thoughts are on that. Well, um, I'm not involved in the study of that right now. Mm. And, you know, I come from a three crew member background. And actually right. on the, on the C-130, sometimes we had 11 crew on board. So, right. um, I have a certain mindset, shall we say, a disposition about this. And, um, let me just say this is in research, Mike. And, um, I'm I'm not going to get sarcastic here, but I just thought of something really funny associated with it. But I can tell you 
that um, how are you? I, I can tell you this: How are you going to keep one pilot awake <laughs> on a fourteen-hour leg <laughs> in a locked cockpit? Yeah, the way that we are security-wise right now. Um, but that's just my own look at it. I'm not involved in the research. I'm not involved in any testing with it. I, I am not sure. Well, and this is part of, uh, I believe there is a loss of safety perspective, major loss of safety perspective in the last many years. And, and one of the first steps I saw um, from the 727 to newer airplanes, the 727 had to have completely fresh air every two minutes. Mm. And the circulation comes from the top in the center of the fuselage out to the sides, down out through the floor, underneath the bottom of the fuselage, and out the back of the airplane behind where all the passengers are. Mm. You almost totally prevent any kind of transmission, you know, of anything, other than maybe if you get too close to the person you're sitting next to. Mm. Um, today, they have scrubbers with recirculating air that go sometimes more than 50 minutes. Uh. It, now, I don't know the efficacies in terms of sterilization of air of scrubbers. I am not a medical expert on that kind of thing. Mm. But um, it seems that recirculating air versus fresh air just common sense doesn't seem like you, you're getting necessarily to the same level of safety of the air that everybody's breathing. And I can tell you when they started doing this, tuberculosis started multiplying in some of the international airlines flight crew. Well, I, I, I think you I think you uttered the magic phrase there, common sense. There seems to be a real dearth of it when it comes to when it comes to these issues. So you've presented some some rather sobering information here, Bruce. People who are watching and um, and are inclined to take some action, how would you advise them? What would you have them do? All right. Um, so um, the first thing I would say is this, and Mike, there's follow-up you, you and I can do to help. Yeah. But uh, the Pete Santilli Show mm. has letter templates that you can send to employers, you can send to Congress people, you can send to state representatives, you can send to the airlines, you can send to the federal agencies. All these people need to be flooded with stop these shots now. Mm. No more. Mm. No more. Period. Um, and you know what? However hard they're trying to do what they're doing right now, we've got them outnumbered at least a hundred million to a couple of thousand. That's exactly right. And and this is the, you know, wake up America. Wake up pilots. Wake up everybody. We were given the control of this nation by the founders. That's why we have a constitutional republic. Stop sitting on the couch and get up and act. On March 24th, last year, the DOT secretary announced to all of us, and Mike, that's with almost all the 185 pages of my evidence, mm. open source, now available to them as of March 24th. They announced we're all getting four shots. Life is going to be good. And I knew I had no more choice. I'm pretty sure it was that day. I knew, okay, that's it. I have got to file. Because whatever this delusion and mass ignorance is, uh, in these federal agencies right now, I mean, it's astonishing. It's hilarious. It's shocking. And we've got to stop it. We've, we've absolutely got, got <laughs> to stop it. Um, Bruce, people want to keep up with you. What's the best way to do it? Um, call you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be. <laughs> I, I am not in a position to be, you know, readily accessible these days to tell you the truth, Mike. And part of it is, my focus is on, and, and you can blame Todd Callender for this, because he's the one that said you've got to get on Mike, Mike's program. But this is the focus right now. I think for me, and I was just looking back over stuff from the last year 
and not realizing some of the people on some of the news sources that started talking about the FAA whistleblower last September after we did our first public presentation on August 30th. 30th, And and I thought, man, I have got to keep doing this. Hmm. Now, there are others who filed since I have. I'm Hmm. also working with others right now to file. This is not over. And um, these folks have committed criminally negligent homicide. Secretary Austin has never answered Senator Johnson. He's never answered to what Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s superb team put together. The airlines have never answered. The federal agencies have not answered. After 205 pages of my filing, 31 days later, about 31 days, about the maximum they could delay, I got back an insufficient information to warrant the dedication of our assets for an investigation. We have other priorities. So the wake up of the federal agencies and the holding them accountable can only be done by the public. Now, I will say this. 500,000 military people stood up against the DOD. DOD had announced they were going to send units around to pin you to the floor and inject you. That's not happening. I know there is fear in DOD. I know there's fear in the FAA and at DOT. Because they're, they understand at least that they've been lying about this all along. This is what they don't want us to know is that we are we are way more powerful than we know. And if we all stand yeah. up and say no more, it all stops. Yes. It crumbles. This is what Listen, they don't want us to know. If everybody in New York had said, Governor Cuomo, use the mercy ships for the elderly with COVID. And as a result of whatever it is with him. We have the largest number of deaths of elderly in New York Mm. of any state. Hmm. Is there a pattern here? And, you know, I pray for Janice Dean, whose in-laws both were killed by this. Um, But if everybody in New York stands up and says, you're not doing this anymore. And what was it in Central Park? A free joint for a jab for a while? (laughs) That's right. <laughs> um, you know, you can't make this stuff up, man. No, you can't make it up. Um, you know, they, they had sweepstakes for a million dollars out in Ohio. They had Krispy Kreme donuts. I mean, if yeah. this thing was really what it was cracked up to be, they wouldn't have to bribe me with donuts yeah. um, to get a vaccine. That's just how I look at it. Well, Mike, and in my case... um. So when I started seriously writing in April of last year, by May, I got COVID. Hmm. Okay. I was 75. I've had my colon collapse and a foot of my colon removed in 2010. I have some lung issues. I have artificial hips. I have what they would describe as comorbidities. Hmm. I had good people advising me for months before I was taking proper protocols and supplements and vitamins and things to raise my defenses. And this is credit to the feds and military against the vax. The day they learned, and it was probably a day or two after I I, I had real difficulty, they were at my doorstep with ivermectin, extra ivermectin, extra HCQ, with pulse oximeter, with Pedialyte, you name it. They showed up with it, Mm. and they kept checking on me day in and day out. And I had several days of being pretty sick. So I haven't had the shots. And I think it's obvious I'm still here. And we're we're thankful for it. You know, uh, one of the thrills of doing this is that you get to meet a lot of people who, um, who you consider heroes. You, sir, are a true hero, and I and I want to thank you very much for taking the time um, to come by and visit with us, and um, and thank you most of all for doing this. Thank you for fighting for us. Well, and you too, Mike. You, you're you're a big part. 
I can stand on the street corner and maybe talk to one person walking across the walkway. You are talking to how, how many now? How many are you reaching? You know, it, every bit helps, Mike. And, and I, I just want to say it would be my honor to act as a switchboard if anybody wants to send you messages. Yeah. Well, listen, um, but let, let me say this kind of in closing. First of all, I cannot thank Todd Callender's group enough. That's why you and I are talking. That's why I'm filed, a big part of it. Mm. I can't thank Senator Johnson enough. Mm. And I can't thank people like LT on And We Know, SGT Report, Red Pill 78, X22, The Victory Channel, FrankSpeech.com, um, Praying Medic, um, don't for, don't on forget, and on and on. Don't forget because, Ann. No, and Ann Vandersteel, who's actually the one who launched me. I met Ann at CPAC in February of 2020, she went home and almost died of COVID the next three weeks. And I believe my wife had it in January. And they were calling it influenza A at the Mm. time, or B, A or B. I I don't remember exactly which. And then, of course, no more influenza. And Anne has kept pushing me the last two years. Uh, now, Now it's actually three years. We go back to 2020. But it's the strength of you all continually standing up, even when you know, you know, I'm just, I'm just pushing a rope up the hill right now. Well, 100 million of us start pushing the rope up together. We're going to get it up the hill. We're going to get there. We're absolutely. We're we're on the way, Mike, and you are a huge factor in this. And God bless the mainstream media. They need to go to school with you all teaching them for about four years and and learn how to shut up and listen. But I think they're trained to talk over us. I think that's a major part of what we're dealing with with them these days. Their their modus operandi now is to talk at us, not to us, and certainly not to. That's true. And certainly not to listen. Well, thanks. They they can't help it, Mike. We're the deplorables. That's 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 exactly right. Well, thanks again, Bruce. And um, as long as I have a show, sir, you have a platform. So you just let me know when you want to come back and and we'll get you right on. Uh, I can't thank you enough for this. And it's a privilege to know you, Mike. My pleasure, sir. God bless you, my friend. You too.